the Forward Thinking Podcast. It's Chrissy here from CS2. Today's podcast is on everyone's favorite topic, attribution, Yay. if you guessed it. Um, and I have um, one of, you know, the, I, I would say someone who's dedicated a lot of time to learning about attribution, consulting on it, and has nailed down a bunch of best practices. So I have Carrie Picklesheimer here, and she's the owner and independent consultant at Condorio. Um, and I I got inspired, and I, I Carrie and I, you and I have talked about being on the podcast right. before, <laughs> but uh, I received uh, her newsletter, and it talked about the do's and don'ts of attribution. And I was like, okay, we need to have you on because we talk about attribution a lot, but the way you summed it up and all of the research you've done, like I've received through your newsletter on attribution has been amazing. So um, thanks for being on the podcast, Carrie. It's so good to have you on. It's great to be here. I'm excited. Thank you for the invite. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So we we typically start out with everyone's um, kind of ops journey, like their origin story, how they got into ops and or to where they are now. Um, and so just want to hear that from you. I almost feel like you've been on the podcast before, so I feel weird asking I feel like you. we've talked a lot about this, <laughs> and people may have heard this before, so I'll try to go through it pretty quickly. Um, I, I'm, my, I'm probably most proud of my origin uh, because I come from a background of graphic design, and I, that has been like probably one of the biggest bases for my how I do things in marketing because anything in graphic design is all about how to take complex ideas and distill them into something small. So if you really hmm. think about what a logo is, it's trying to like take the entire brand of a company and boil it down into a symbol. Uh, after doing design, um, I've worked at ad agencies and things like that. I ended up finding my way into the marketing world. Um, I've always worked on small teams, but I started working in a SaaS company and uh, doing both marketing and design. And then I was lucky enough to be there when we implemented Marketo. And so I've been working in Marketo for the last 10 plus years. When we did start adding Marketo, all of a sudden we had the ability not just to do marketing at scale, but to kind of have analytics that we hadn't had previously. And so I think that's what kind of began this merging in my career of the design and the data and how do we use them really effectively. So that pursuit of like good design and, you know, useful data has been really what I've tried to build my, you know, consulting practice around and the types of things that I've worked on different projects when I've been in-house. So that's kind of my origin story to how we got here today. And I, I'd like to think it'll probably keep going in the same direction. So yeah. it's something I'm very what, passionate about. Yeah, I I love that also like a lot of the um, like the images that you use in your content or your graphics that you use in your content kind of like distill these like really, you know, I think for a lot of people attribution seems a little bit scary or the mm -hmm. way that we look at data can feel a bit like scary. But I think okay. with a lot of MOPS folks, they're very visual people like you're saying like <laughs> – Everyone, I was joking with Charlie yesterday because every time we put like a whimsical or something out there on LinkedIn, like people love it. And I think I'm like, oh, most people just love a good Vizio. We know? love we a just, good Vizio. <laughs> we just, we love graphs and, but also just to take complex things and put it into something that people understand. And that's one thing I, I love and what stood out to even, to me in your do's and don'ts, like 
um, email was just the, you documented a circle around like how to approach attribution. And that's like mm-hmm. the data, the insight, you take action and repeat. And I'm like, right. wow, like that, that's like so good. Like you could just put that on your desk and just like if right. you're an analytics person, just look at that. Just, right. just take the data, grab your insights, right. come up with an action and repeat. And I'm like, you know, that's great. And I think you have a lot of different um, examples of that. And so I think it just, it just, you know, lends really well to, to, I think your work, but, and I'm sure you use this with your clients and they benefit because if you're able to take those concepts and theories and display in a way where that you can like easily articulate it. And I think for right. a lot of people who aren't data literate, that, that is really handy, um, must be really useful. It is really useful. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I think it, even when you're speaking to someone uh, data literate, which I like that word a lot, um, I think it's really important to simplify it because what's happening for all of us, and, and I think it's probably true even outside of marketing, is there's no shortage of data for anybody oh, yeah. for in any field at all. And so how do we show what's really important and what's important to take action on? Because we've all been generating these spreadsheets. You know, people are you know, our bosses are asking us to provide reporting. It seems mm-hmm. like the more reports we give, the more they want. But at the end of the day, how do you know what in that spreadsheet is useful? And so, so much of what I really, I think I feel, I think the thing that makes me feel so passionate about this is that we should all be using data to do our jobs better. But unfortunately, it feels like our jobs have become generating data. And the data is really kind of a byproduct, right? Like it's like we should be doing marketing and then the data tells us how to do better marketing. But what's happening is we're being asked to create all these reports, improve marketing's influence. And that's not necessarily making us better marketers. And if we're not doing better marketing, we're not necessarily bringing more revenue in. And at the end of the day, that's what we're all here to do, drive revenue for our own company or for the companies we work for or help my clients type thing. Totally. There, I, I love that you said that because I think that that is a, a, something that we see across a lot of organizations is they keep, they invest a lot of time, a lot of their like employees time, a lot of consultant time, a lot of money into like just trying to just like you said, generate more data, get better data. Um, but I think a lot of the actual strategy of marketing like kind of gets missed. And so the, and then when you do have the data, it's like, how do we make this data look better for marketing? It's like, no, just, just right. do better, just do better marketing, right. you know, like, <laughs> yeah, you're going to fail. You're going to, yeah. you're going to run a campaign that like falls flat on its face. And instead of like trying to make the reports look like it wasn't so bad, like, why don't you learn from that? And, and I think too, it's like, okay to say like, Hey, we ran this experiment what we thought would happen didn't happen, but here's what we learned and here's how we're going to do it better next time. You know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, totally. (laughs) And I think that it's, uh, Rand Fishkin, I I read a blog post by him recently talking about attribution and um, he was also talking about too, like, like he, you know, attribution, fine. But like, if, if you're spending so much time and dollars and, it doesn't directly correlate to like even how much like marketing you're doing. Like that's a miss. Like he's like, right. if you want to get attribution like perfect, you have to know that like 
you're probably going to invest a lot of money. You're going to have to get a certain tool. But if you want enough data or some actionable data to like just continue to make better decisions on your marketing, like it should correlate to how much marketing you're doing, you know, and and how much what your budget is and stuff like that. And I think that's like the simplest way to think about it. And and then you also have to know that like more data, like you said, more data and it doesn't always mean like that's the end goal. Like, oh, right. our end goal is to show how much we're doing. It's like, really, we, we always say like, it's there to improve your marketing instead of prove your marketing. So. Right. Yes. And um, it was Allison, I think you said that, like improve, yeah. not prove. And I'm like, that's spot on. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, all right. So I wanted to start with some of your do's and don'ts before we get into um, people's questions. Um, mm-hmm. Carrie had sourced out some questions from LinkedIn um, from folks and tackling like their biggest questions on attribution. So um, we're going to get into that. But before that, I loved um, your your um, your email talking about the do's and don'ts of mm-hmm. of attribution. So I feel like to start with that. So I'll I'll start to read some of those out from the do's. So okay. you say for um, for do's to be consistent and develop a recurring process of reviewing your data to improve both the capture and value of the data. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you can you just add on a little bit there? And, and sure. what are some ways that you can like try and make that part of your workflow? Because I think for some folks too, they always like wait until the end of the quarter or like right. do something to like use the data or like there's an event that like gets them to go look at that data, but it's right. not really being consistent. Yeah, I think it's important to kind of, I mean, for me, I'm one of those people that as soon as like I launch a campaign, I'm already looking at the reports and I'm like, three people have opened. So, I mean, I think like there's a level of like obsession of like wanting to know what happens. But I think mm-hmm. that if if you're waiting for someone to ask you for the data, you're, you may be like behind the curve there. And so I think what you want to be thinking is we're about to launch this like I, I begin most campaigns with like, how are we going to measure success for this one? And, and branding, yeah. like sometimes it's just branding. It doesn't necessarily mean, it doesn't need to have a call to action. Like not everything's yeah. like that, but whatever you're doing, you should kind of know how you're going to measure it. And so when you put out a campaign or campaigns, it, it should, you should have like kind of a recurring window when you're looking at it. So, I mean, that's to me as simple as like checking in on your Google Analytics or looking mm-hmm. at your Marketo or Salesforce campaign reports, because what you want to see is like, are we seeing data come in the way we expect it? And you want to like at that point, just be looking for anomalies. So for example, if you run out, uh, if you run a campaign and you put UTM values on it, and then you you notice in your web reports that you're not seeing those, did you share the wrong link? You know, like it's kind of about mm. like both like reviewing the quality of the data Um, and then making sure that you're kind of like pacing as you go so that you're fixing it before it becomes a big problem. But Mm -hmm. I don't expect people to be at that point analyzing the data. I would say it should just be like, look in at a dashboard, look in at a report like every Friday, you know, like Mm -hmm. your Friday mornings, like make it a quick thing that you do, spend a half hour making sure what you think is being tracked is being tracked. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And quality in, quality out. So you can make sure that happens at the beginning. That's it. And I love that because so many many marketers have these oh shit moments of like, Mm -hmm. oh no, we've messed up this UTM or oh, we forgot to, yeah, you know, the link. And then if you notice that months later, it's like, oh, you you lost your chance. So Exactly. (laughs) 
Okay, the second thing you have as a do is aim for insights, not answers. Marketing will always remain an art form no matter how much data we throw at it. There are often multiple solutions to the challenge of understanding which activities drive pipeline revenue. Use your attribution data more as a compass than a map. I love this. We kind of already hinted at this, but um, yeah, maybe talk a little bit about that. And then how do you kind of educate your clients or even like for someone who's working with a CMO or someone who's trying, who's kind of pressuring them to be like, Hey, we need this data to show like our impact. Like how, how would you suggest handling that conversation? I mean, I think if I were to like boil it, everything down to one do, it would be this one, because I think this idea of like insights, not answers. um, I think I talk so much about this because I have trouble conveying this to people higher up. I mean, it's a really hard thing to do. Um, And someone asked me why they thought it was so hard the other day. And I've given some thought to why that would be. And I think part of the issue is that the data looks like attribution data looks like a fact. It's mm-hmm. it's illustrated on a spreadsheet. You can make a graph out of it. It's in Salesforce most of the time, or it's in Excel. It looks the same as like financial reporting data. Um, yeah. And so I think there's this like expectation. And I think people's expectations with digital is that it's digital. Therefore, we know we can track everything. What do you mean this isn't tracking correctly type thing? So there's like the <laughs> the expectation that we should be able to Mm-hmm. What we present looks like a fact. So why is there this gray area? And, you know, at the end of the day, everything that we're measuring, it's still we're measuring humans. And yeah. we'll never be able to assign intent to a human. You know, it's something as simple as someone asked me the other day, like, I remember 10 years ago when I was doing web design, you know, do we want to have more page views or less page mm-hmm. views? And then it's like, well, more page views might mean a person's really interested in your site. More page views might also mean they're not finding what they're looking for. So how do you oh, know yeah. when you, and it could be minor, but like these are the types of things we can't measure intent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that when it comes down to this attribution data, this thought that it's, we know everything about people. We know people are using their phones all the time. Like why, why can't we get this exactly? it's never going to be exact. It's always measuring people. And so I think that we should try to look at it as a whole and, and say like, this is kind of teaching us something about something. People, people did come to this webpage so we can assume that this topic is important. So we have an insight there. And so we don't have an answer that that's the most important thing. We don't know that everybody who comes to that page is going to become an MQL and then an SAL on a client. We don't know that, but we know that there's some value in it. So then we can start to do, it kind of tap, dovetails into the next one, which is experiment with those insights mm-hmm. is then yeah. you can take that action. You can say like, this topic seems to resonate with our audience. How can we put it in a different way? How can we promote it in a different spot and see if that matters? And so I'll pause here and take a breath because I tend to get going on this, but this is where it gets hard for CMOs because I think Mm -hmm. CMOs are being directed by CFOs, CEOs, you know, like lots of, lots of layers that want an answer to something that there's simply not an answer. There's not an answer for, there are many answers. (laughs) And so that's where I think like the idea of using attribution as an insight, um, is a yeah. much better way than thinking that this is like, oh, this 
this webinar is really important to driving pipeline. It, it's important, but it's not the only thing. Totally. And I think like, I think one also thing is like, I love the MarTech space, but also sometimes the vendors and the tools also do people a disservice because, or their salespeople, because they're saying, hey, this is going to be giving you the data that you need to show your value to XYZ. And it's like, no, like stop telling like marketers this, like we're, we're selling them a dream that's literally like impossible. It's yes. like what the world always does, right? Like a, mar- right. a lot of marketing just preys on your insecurities, these like right. really <laughs> false expectations of what you can do and yep. then tells you that this thing is going to do it. Like basically the beauty industry just... <laughs> it it is the beauty it. industry. It's the fitness industry. It's like do this five minute exercise seven days a week and you will drop 20 pounds. It's like, there's no way that will no. happen, but you're like excited about the prospect of it, you know? Totally. But to your point of like experimenting with the insight, which is your last you, I think this is the thing too, that because marketers go on and waste their time, just trying to get the data perfect, trying to make sure every little team is attributed with the right data. Right. So no one gets their like feelings hurt. No one gets measured the wrong way. I think for you then are not doing those experiments. You're not making those changes on your strategy as fast as you can. And that's the whole thing with the data is really like just helping you to just do better marketing and also figure out are your experiments working. But then knowing that like there's a gut, there's some gut feel Mm -hmm. to it too, right? Like, and there's things that you know, oh, this isn't showing up here, but this is probably uh, like organic search has gone up 30%. 30%. Well, did you just launch a podcast? Right. That could be why, you know, like it's so it takes a lot of like that, like you said, the analysis, analyzing like some things with your gut, with your experience, mm-hmm. and then mixing and tying those insights together. But when you're just showing that in a report, like you said, that people think is like gospel, it's hard to articulate that. Yeah. And a good example of that is I had um, a client who, when I started working with them on some visible reporting, they were not reporting on organic or, or direct website traffic. They weren't mm. reporting on it. And I think that the reason why is that they weren't spending money on it. So like they didn't want to rep- like, so the, the mentality, like, you know, I think they were trying yeah. to do the best thing of like, well, we invest in these channels and these channels drive this. And we ended up opening that up and exposing it. Cause I said like, what, what's going to happen is direct is the sum of all your marketing efforts it's the sum yeah. of all the voicemails your salespeople leave. It's the sum of like the per- your branding efforts over the last 10 years. And it's okay. And we're never going to know where those people came from. And if that number goes up, it's even better, you know, yeah. like, because what it's showing is that at the end of the day, we're here to do marketing. Yeah. We're not here to do marketing reporting, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah. if we took away all of our UTM codes and we dropped all of our attribution stuff and we kept marketing hopefully we would still keep driving pipeline and revenue. But it's such a scary thing to be like, well, what do you mean? I mean, like 25 years ago, like you were doing focus groups, you know, when we watch Mad Men, they were doing everything on, you know, whiteboards and in in a conference room where they were interviewing people. You know, we're we're so far from that. But now we've gotten so afraid to do something where we can't measure the outcome. Totally. And that's hurting that's hurting our, our marketing for sure. I think, yep. um, 
and to your point with direct and like opening that up and being the result, I think I also say to companies too, like that that's kind of a sign too that your cost of acquisition is going down because right. then that like that those are people that are coming through direct, but they are likely from your brand and things like that. And so mm-hmm. for companies that are like, oh, I, I don't know how to measure my brand. It's like, just look at your like cost of acquisition just from a pure leads perspective. If that's going down, mm-hmm. it probably means that your brand's working because people are just coming direct through you for the word of right. mouth. Like things are seen on Slack channels, things are seen on LinkedIn. You're right. not going to be able to measure that directly, but you can like, mm, like, you know, put like a little, <laughs> oh, I think oh, this is happening, right. you know? Yeah. <laughs> I think you're right though. There, there is this gut thing. And I think too, sometimes you're going to look at data and you're going to feel like it goes against your gut feeling. And you're going to be like, I really thought it was important to do that. And the data didn't show it, but your gut's well honed as well. Your gut's taking in all sorts of stuff that's not showing up on spreadsheets. It's remembering all sorts of like other things that have happened. And so that's where this blend of art and science comes in is that you have to kind of like be willing to take your hands off the wheel a little bit and trust that good marketing over time um, is good marketing over time. You're doing the right yeah. thing, you know? So, yeah. The two yep. don'ts that I want to, uh, that kind of correlate to are do's, but I, I love your first don't, which is don't prioritize data over customer experience. The main goal is to provide your prospects with the easiest access to information that increases their interest in your company. Make decisions that support that goal as opposed to structuring your campaigns only to gather data. There's an, often a trade-off between customer experience and data capture. You need to find the right balance. Yeah. And I instantly think of the question of like, do we do we gate our white papers? Right. Or like our, 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 you know, what do we use forms in front of? Right. And everyone is like, how are we going to capture that into our like, you know, visible reports or whatever it is? Right. And so... Um, yeah, I think that's a, an, an important thing. I think you mentioned like looking at Google Analytics, but what are some of your like, what are, what's some of your advice to clients or maybe like, oh, I want to do these things or I want to put this um, information out there, but not gate it, but I still want to see how it's working. What do you tell clients then when they say that? Yeah, I mean, that's actually a really good point because when you said that, the first thing, like, it always pops into our head, like, should we be gating our content? What should we be putting on the gate to it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and a good example of this would be, like, imagine you have a customer, you have a customer database, and you're going to send them something out or le- regarding a new pro- product you're offering, and you, you, you might have stuff out. You know who the customer is. You're sending out an email or social or whatever you're doing you don't need to gate that. Like your, your intent to gate that would be literally only to know which customers are interested in it, but your customers know who they know, you know who they are. So you want to like, if you're doing something like that, you would go like, well, how could we track success if it's not a form fill? Well, it might just be looking at like, did they actually end up visiting the page? Mm -hmm. Did, are we getting, I mean, like sometimes the reports aren't, direct meaning like mm-hmm. you're not going to say we did this email we got this many customers interested and it, this happened because there's always going to be this time continuum but what you hope is that over time you start promoting this new product and hopefully your sales team is getting more phone calls about it or emails about it or you're seeing mm-hmm. more opportunities pop up with that line item it's it's stuff like that um it is that gating thing and i think like you know 
people are super savvy these days. I mean, this is something that I think we didn't like write down to talk about, but I think it's important as, as third party cookies get deprecated and as mm-hmm. more people put blockers on their websites and Apple's not tracking open. I mean, like Apple has had a lot of privacy. People deserve privacy. Mm-hmm. It's allowed, right? Like, I mean, all yeah. of us shop for things. We don't want to constantly be bombarded with mm-hmm. somebody like asking us questions about, are you ready to buy it? Are you ready to buy? There's got to be this level of like kind of trust with your audience that if you provide what they need, they will turn to you when they're ready to take that step. And your goal is to kind of be ready to kind of walk mm-hmm. that journey with them, even if it's completely anonymous, even they, even if you have no idea who they are, if you're providing the information they need to make that decision, it's kind of okay. Um, and a lot of times what I will say is like, to me, all of the metrics we track are just kind of fluff, except for things like revenue, pipeline, I mean, pipeline, but even like beyond pipeline, we can't guarantee that. So I would say like revenue, customer retention and employee retention, because those are three factually based things that everything else should be working towards. Totally. You know, so if we're getting new business, if our customers are resigning, all of that stuff means that our sales are working, our operations are working, mm-hmm. everything's working together. Totally. Yeah, that's something I was going to mention. Like, I think just look like no CMO is going to get fired if their revenue continues right. to go up. Like, no yeah. one's going to lose their jobs if like people are hitting their company goals. Like, that that's clear. So like, do as much as you can to just try and generate that interest. And I love that you said customer experience because, uh, to your point, like. I think companies should be actually just optimizing those like capture points when people are interested, like you said, and focus your attention on that and then just have good information that's easily accessible mm-hmm. and and do it in a way where you just assume that those are anonymous buyers until they fill out that form, right? Like yeah. just make it like really great for for those typical people, you know, the people coming to your website. So um, yeah, we had a, a past episode with... Um, Arthur Castillo from Chili Piper. Um, and that's a really good one for people listening to this to go back and like, what is the best way to optimize that experience? But um, anyway, I want to make sure we get into some of the questions. Yeah. The last don't that you have is don't chase perfection. And I think mm-hmm. we kind of talked about that. Like the reports yep. are not the end goal. Like mm-hmm. we really like it's it's really the data that we're using and they're just tools. Like I, I right. like that. Like it's just a tool in your in but you have other tools, your gut, you have your experience. Right. You, when you marry those all together, that's when good decisions are made. So Yeah. And I think one thing to consider is that like, we're kind of like consistently imperfect, you know, like mm-hmm. yeah, across the board, a certain percentage of people are using private browsers. Okay. Well, we know that. So we can just trust that the, the group that we have, we're going to use that as kind of our sample group. And so, um, I think that the one thing that I really wish we could convey to CMOs and upper management is that every time we try to get closer to precision and perfect reports, we spend a tremendous amount of time and energy mm-hmm. that could be used. Like it's, I hate to say sometimes good enough is good enough. Cause I mean, I think that always comes across as like, we're not chasing mediocrity, but we need to know like what should be perfect. Like our content should be perfect. Our understanding of our audience should be perfect. Totally. Our reports don't have to be perfect if they're just helping us, you know, make 
good decisions. Like what's the next best step? You know, that's what we want. We want a report that takes us to the next best step. We're not going to get a report like a lead gen and be like, and here's the 17 things that you must do to get that deal closed <laughs> in six months. That that doesn't exist. Yeah, totally. Yep. So agree. All right. So okay. let's dive into some of our questions. Yes. I'm um, trying to get ones. through as many of them. Um, so the first one, how important is it to ensure that your attribution data is clean and accurate? I feel like we kind of answered this, but yeah. It's mostly yeah. important. I mean, it's important at the point that it's easy. Like there's yeah. always going to be a, a point like kind of like we can work real hard and get it to mostly perfect and we can understand what's not perfect. Um, this is one of those things that I'm sure has come up on multiple other episodes, but this is where duplicates yeah. will sometimes be your enemy. You know, if you already had duplicates yeah. in your system, that will get exacerbated when you start attributing all sorts of stuff to five versions of a human instead of one version of a human. Um, I think you should do your best um, yeah. at the point that it's not taking you like so much time to do your best. Totally. So, yep. Um, cool. And then for, yeah. I, I think one thing I found out too is like we, we've been learning more about the tool Caliber Mine, if anyone's looked at that, and, and they kind of do some on their back end to deduping, which I mm -hmm. thought, oh, awesome. Yes. Amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. That is a word that I think normal non B2B people don't ever like dedupe. What does that mean? <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, are you singing some song? What yeah. is <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> um, okay. The next one, which model should I use when? Mm. Um, and I actually think that there was another question kind of related to it. Someone was saying they have a hard time with their enterprise sales team. And showing like how to measure on like different like accounts, like because they mm -hmm. have different criteria for how they measure influence. Right. But um, I think to start, like what what are, if someone's like, what kind of what should I, what model should I use, or at least to start with, um, that's going to give me the best like insights they can use? What do you typically suggest? I mean, the answer is going to sound kind of trite, but it's like use all of them. But I then I tend to break it down to like if I had to pick two models, I would pick first touch or I would use a combo of like first touch or lead creation. So the difference between those, if you are jumping into attribution, first touch would be the very first time a person interacted with you. And if you're using a tool like visible or caliber mind or full circle, a lot of times you can track that anonymously and store it mm -hmm. until you know who the person is. And then lead creation is what we've all been typically used to with like lead source. So like yeah. what made a person fill out the form? So then there's another model called U-shape that kind of splits the difference. So I tend to go with U-shape because I can't quite decide which one's more important. I can see value in both. Um, but that's really your top of funnel. And I tend to recommend using U-shaped when you want an answer that's fairly quick. So the idea would be like you'd be using U-shaped to understand your demand gen processes, your lead gen and stuff. So if you want to know was a, a paid search campaign effective, you could look at your U-shaped model and you would be able to see how many new, you know, how many people you influence, how many net new names. But that's not necessarily going to tell you if they are the ones generating revenue. Uh, we can all fill our funnel with the wrong people and that doesn't necessarily help us. So I tend to go towards something like a full path or an even split where yeah. we kind of like, look, because what what those two things are and the difference between like U-shaped and I'm just going to say full path, which would, would include all of the touches along the way is that the full path is going to actually give you a sense of 
how your marketing interacted with someone throughout the whole lead life cycle. The mm-hmm. downside to that is that you often need at least an entire sales cycle to find mm-hmm. value in it. So if you launch a tool like Visible today, but your sales cycle is 12 to 18 months, your full path models won't really be useful until you know 12 to 24 months later where you have enough time to measure. And most people can't wait that long to show value. So that's when mm-hmm. you can like throw something in like a W shape that places a higher priority on like opportunity creation. Um, mm-hmm. I tend to like an even split model because how do I know if the right touch was assigned to the opportunity creation or yeah. the lead close? So it's more just like, let's see what impacted our, our sales pipeline. Totally. Yeah. We typically say that too, like the even spread. And I think part of the reason why that's really useful um, from like, just like the, the full picture kind of revenue perspective, like when you talk about customer experience and how that's like most important and there's so many different touch points that people have across that experience and Mm -hmm. their journey. Um, And it's, it's so hard to say like, what is, the most important thing. Of course, you can gather that data maybe qualitatively from the prospect, right. but you it just gives you just a better sense of like what's working, what's not. And also, you could miss out on on seeing effectiveness of subchannels just purely based on what the goal is. So like right. field events or field and some type of field marketing um, efforts or direct mails and stuff like that will typically never show up obviously in like a first touch model Mm -hmm. only or potentially even not even W shape because depending on when that happened, it may not get the credit. So that even spread just ensures that you're getting the data that like everyone can leverage and getting the sense of like seeing trends of across the journeys. What are we seeing most show up or getting credit across like the board across these journeys. And then when you split that by region, it gets even more useful because mm-hmm. re- different regions might have more similarities like as or, or differences in each other. So um, it just gives you, like you said, it's like a tool to just try and gather those insights to, you know, make changes or improve. Right. Well, and something interesting, I mean, I think we can all think of an example in our own life when we bought something, but, uh, you know, like a year ago, I bought a car at CarMax. And I mean... I'm one person making a decision. I mean, my husband, it was my car, so my husband was involved, but he's not, we're not a buying team. We're just me. And like, I mean, I looked at the website, I called them, I was text messaging with them, which interaction was the most important? Truthfully, all of them, because the fact that they were available, I I bought from CarMax, I called other car dealers, but the whole process. And so you can't say, like, I, I always ask this question, you know, like, if you look at Tom Brady and asked him, like, what was the most important thing that you did to win, what are we at, seven Super Bowls now? There's not one thing that was the most important. It's the blend of all of it. And so we've yeah. got to stop looking for this, back to this thing about there is no answer. There is no, totally. like, do this, always, never do this. It's kind of like, well, do it all. Be where your customers need you to be when they need you to be there. Totally. And if you measure it, great. If you can't measure it, that's okay too. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So. Totally. Um, Um, I think one of the parts of the question too was, or this comes up a lot as well when you have 
um, maybe you sell into large accounts mm -hmm. and maybe depending on like how many opportunities you have or the different like accounts that like structure, right. like do you work with any clients who maybe sell into enterprises and do you have any suggestions for them to try and like make better sense of that data, especially when they may have like, you know, a hundred contacts or something. Right. That account. I mean, I think it gets, it's kind of a little bit back to the customer experience. Uh, you know, don't prioritize reporting over customer experience or do, you know, prioritize customer experience. I mean, I think what's interesting to think is that you might be selling to an enterprise and they might yeah. be a buying team, but each of those people feels like an individual person doing mm -hmm. research on something that matters. And um, the other thing to consider is that like from a salesperson's perspective, you know, it's really important for them to be speaking to the decision maker. We, we want to mm -hmm. identify them on the opportunity, but that might not be the person who's interacting with your marketing the whole time, you know, totally. at all. So I kind of recommend that you look at it like a little bit more. And this is where that even split comes into. It's like, if you're going to look at what influenced an opportunity you do want to keep track of all the people on the account. And, you know, most good companies, I mean, I would hope if I were working for a larger company and they were about to roll out some sort of new software, I would be curious about it. And I would hope that they would take, uh, probably a lot of organizations take feedback from their end users about what's going to be. So there's always going to be people like interacting with you socially. You're going to want to know, like you're going to research and be like, how's the support for this product? You know, there's all these different areas. And so... I think that in terms of like, how do you measure it? It becomes a matter of like, don't try to think you're going to have like a perfect way of measuring it. Kind of like look at all the activities in the pot that happened to everybody. And you might see that 15 people with you, 15 people interacted via email, two people interacted at a trade show, 10 people interacted. And you kind of just want to like go like, okay, let's put all of this together and see what sort of insights we can gain from this. Yeah. You know. Totally. So, I want to dive into some of the specific channels because, especially one of them, I think when we look at this data and we talk about it helping marketers figure out better ways to market, um, a lot of times what comes up too is like from other teams, like how they can best leverage the data as well. So, mm -hmm. part of that is like, you know, sales teams they're doing like outbound sequences or cadences, or even just doing some outbound acquisition. Mm -hmm. There's also like reseller or partner channels. Right. Uh, maybe to start for like the sales piece, like how do you how do you work with clients to like incorporate some of that data in, or do you tell them not to? Like, what's some of your suggestions? Yeah, I mean, I think I think what sometimes makes attribution harder is that there's this perception that there might be one report that shows mm -hmm. how everybody influenced the deal. And it would give us like, we have one report and it provides us one answer. And what you have to be very careful of is because we have long, almost all of us in B2B, probably anybody in, in uh, investing in an attribution tool has some level of a lengthier sales process um, that we're going to have to expect. There's going to be a lot of complexities. There's a lot of data input. So how do we, cut out the noise. A good example of this is like, and a lot of tools will allow you to include sales activities as well as marketing activities. And that's really useful. And I think like when a person's trying to understand if leadership is looking and saying like, I want to see how each department is impacting the sales process. 
that might be one reason to take a look at that report, but I don't know that that actually is that useful. Uh, the reason being is it puts a lot of noise in the system. And a really good example of this is I was working with a client on a visible optimization and they were tracking sales activities. And so they placed a high priority on like a demo, which makes sense, right? Like you, your sales rep spends time doing the demo. What happened was almost everybody got a demo, which makes sense because you're going to need to demo something to sell it. And so that particular touch looked really important in the sales process, but it wasn't a differentiator. It wasn't like some people got a demo and some people didn't. So if I have to like help, if we need to really clarify what should be tracked and what should not, I tend to say track the areas where decisions might be different if you do something. So for example, you would never put uh, like contract signing as <laughs> something you're measuring because everybody has to sign a contract. It doesn't matter. There's no doing this or not doing this. And so I always recommend your, your channels and your touches should be based upon where you're going to invest more time or where you're going mm -hmm. to invest more money. And so yeah. if there is something different that a sales team can do, um, then that's a good place to track. But I would also probably recommend you might be better off to be using, you know, a simple Salesforce report that tracks, you know, an activity and an event report. Don't, don't try to cram all of this information into mm -hmm. one report because it, it, it doesn't matter. You know, it, it's totally. just not going to be like, you can't conscientiously figure it out. Yeah. Or I think one thing too, like if, if it's something that they're collaborating with marketing on, so if Mark, if it's part of like an integrated marketing campaign mm -hmm. and that cadence or some like sequence is part of that, like making sure that that's like part of the piece that you're measuring, I think makes sense because it's like, Oh, did that, did that ABM right. campaign have a better lift because of the sequence? So, and, and right. like, which, if you're testing or experimenting different sequences, then you can kind of see that data. But to your point, like, you could also get that data in, in other ways with um, how you sync the data over to activities or, or, and then tie those to opportunities. So, just kind of make your best judgment on what's going to be the simplest way. And also, like, how often or how much of that data are you actually going to use? I think if, if you you have to really put in the effort, I feel if it's actually going to end up being useful and used instead of just across right. the board. Oh, it's something we're doing. I need right. to make sure it's measured perfectly. Right. I, a lot of times I'll have like you know someone will say like my boss asked me for this report, and the first question I ask is like, well, do you know how they're going to use that? And often <laughs> it's like I don't know. They just asked me for it, and it's it's hard because obviously yeah. we all are beholden to people, and but I think that's where like. As a marketer, you want to try to get ahead of it. You want to say, this is the data we're measuring, and this is why, and this is what we're going to take action on. And you always want to assign some sort of action based on the data so that if somebody comes to you and says, I need this data, you can say, I'm happy to help you with that. Can you explain how you're going to use that data? And if they don't have a good answer, it's a lot easier to push back. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, so I think like it's a little bit of that like give and take, and I want marketers to have like, a bigger ownership in the data creation and data analysis from the beginning so that they're not being, for lack of a better word, pushed around by someone who's been told by a sales rep that this is possible, you know? <laughs> so I love that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Do you have time for one more? I do. 
Okay. I want to make sure we talk about this because um, uh, some of the uh, folks had asked about dark funnel and how should I think about dark funnel when it comes to multi-touch attribution or how do you think about attributing things that you can't see or capture? I think we've kind of talked about this a little bit, especially right. when you ungate stuff, but specifically there's a lot of um, conversations out there around dark funnel and how attribution fails to measure it, um, which uh, I think it's important to note that like all models aren't perfect. And so we can't just focus on the failure points. We should just talk right. about a solution. But what, right. what, what would be kind of your suggestion to a client when they're thinking through that? Yeah. I mean, I think like I, I really hate the term dark funnel because I think everybody wants to like, we all want to be in the dark when we're searching until we're ready. So we are all in somebody's dark funnel. I think about this all the time. Like I filled out a form on somebody's website the other day. I am somewhere in their dark funnel because I'm doing something. Um, I think that that's where this idea comes into. We've got to like kind of back off this idea of an answer or back off this idea of impressions. If we just assume that 10 to 15% of all of our activities are not trackable, then we can say like, well, what can we learn with the 85% that we can? Um, mm -hmm. I think Chris Walker does a fantastic job of talking about this, the dark funnel. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I think the other thing is we've got to let go of this idea that this should all happen like automatically. It should all happen at scale on a spreadsheet. Like maybe ask your customers, like mm -hmm. once they all, and like, Maybe you ask them once they're already a customer and that could be a totally. conversation that you have on. And then, then this goes to like what you mentioned about gut feeling. Like I don't, I don't like a model where sales is, you know, kind of in their silo and marketing's in the other. It'd be great if we're all working together. And so like your sales rep is probably talking to these people more often mm -hmm. and, and they are probably letting this information slip in a conversation Totally. Because they're sharing. So if your sales rep is astute and can like write that down, then it can be a conversation and be like, well, I talked to a lot of people last week that really enjoyed the podcast. Totally. And that should be enough. Like we don't have to like, well, how are we going to get that into a spreadsheet? You know? Uh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Okay. That's something that comes up a lot. And it's, it's funny. I still even remember the first time, like, I, I think it was like five or six years ago, but I was like talking to Charlie and I'm like, we were talking together about how people are spending all this time, like trying to figure out attribution. We're like, just like ask them to right. just ask your prospect. <laughs> like yeah. if you want to, like um, SDRs are looking or salespeople are looking for icebreakers anyway. If you just yeah. make that as part of your process, like how did you first find out about us? What's, what's something that stood out? Like, you know, and those are things that you can, you know, capture just within somewhere in Salesforce, or they can, like you said, they can note it down. You can meet with your sales team. Um, right. Now with smart tools like Gong and stuff, you could even mm -hmm. maybe like have events that are listening for that and get the data right. back to you. So I think that, like you said, like, you know, there's ways that you can be creative to try and get some of that information. And then that's just another tool that you can then tap into to add on to the insights that you can, you know, look, you know, use right. to take action and then repeat. <laughs> right. It's funny, like a, a strange example that comes up in my, in real life is like, I don't know if you've ever done like a calorie tracker or anything like that. Like, I mean, I've done it at various phases of my life. And then sometimes I would use that calorie tracker and I would eat really healthy throughout the day. And then I would just get tired of tracking. Yeah. Which is fine. It was helping me do what I needed to do, which was to eat better. 
But if I were to try to go back and look at like reports of like the calories, be like, I don't think I ate 450 calories that day. I stopped tracking, but I still did. And so this idea that everything has to be documented with precision, these tools are kind of like what a calorie tracker is. It's designed to help you do better in the moment. It doesn't necessarily carry intrinsic value to be measured year over year, day over day, you know, that type of stuff. So totally, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I've been doing that sometimes with like my journal. Cause I do a lot of the same questions every single day at the end of the day. And then I'll flip back. I'm like, Oh, I want to flip back and see like how the last four weeks have gone. Or was I, was I feeling this way like right. a month ago? I am a woman. This is probably <laughs> telling me something, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, but it's data that like, yes, it's not perfect every, t- every time, you know, it's, it's very informal. I'm just jotting notes into a book, but it gives me those like, they, those, that data set that I can look back to and then try and draw some conclusions and then exactly. take it for what it is. You know? Take it for what it is. And then, you know, you've done your best and you move on. So <laughs> yeah. it's good. Awesome. Well, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. I'm sure everyone listening did too. I, for those of you who enjoyed it, I highly suggest you go to condurio.com where you can find Carrie's website and see a bunch of her content. She has a blog post. Also, you can sign up and I think to join your newsletter, right? Yeah. yeah. And I only send it out like a little bit here and there. Sometimes I yeah. don't even have calls to action in my newsletter yeah. just to let you know. <laughs> it's real low pressure. Um, I, I'm a subscriber and I really like it, as I mentioned. So definitely suggest you folks uh, check it out. And if you did enjoy this episode of Forward Thinking, feel free to um, give our page a like and share it with your colleagues and friends. And we'll see you next time. Thanks so much, Gary. Thanks, Chrissy. Great to chat with you as well.